When the city editor assigned me a ghost story, I was indignant. As Harriet Hatch, intrepid girl reporter, I wanted to track down killers, expose corruption, not <laughs> spend the night in a haunted house on the South Shore and write it up as a Sunday feature. That was before I witnessed a fiery phantom with my own eyes. Now the owner of the house had issued a challenge. What do you say, Miss Hatch? Cousin George, are you up for it? For what? This Friday night? Let's go ghost hunting. Artist Ensemble Theater presents Mysterious Journey, Theater for the Mind. In this episode, the journey leads to a confrontation with a ghost. This is the conclusion of Phantom. This Friday? Yes. Can't make it, I'm afraid. I'm commanded to appear at the Vandergriff Ball in Providence. Can't you skip it? If only. Believe me, I'd much rather hunt ghosts than heiresses. Miss Hatch, what about you? Oh, I suppose we'll need a chaperone. No, we won't. This is 1910 and we're not attending a social event. I'll have you know I'm a fearless modern woman. Understood. Good. That said, I would like to bring a colleague. Perfect. We'll meet at Penn Station and take the 8 o'clock train. A successful ghost hunt Friday night would give me just enough time to meet my deadline for Sunday. All I had to do was get Professor Augustus SFX Van Dusen, better known as the Thinking Machine, on board. Out of the question! Why? I am presenting a scientific paper on Friday that will prove once and for all that a certain chemist in Chicago is a half-witted dolt. Will he be there? No, but he... Oh, Professor, that's not the way to go about it. What? What's the point of humiliating him if he's not even present? The National Conference is next month. I suppose I could give my presentation then. And totally eviscerate him in front of all of his peers. Ha <laughs> ha! I'll do it! Good plan! Plus that frees up your Friday night for ghost hunting. Oh, confound it! Very well. You'll only plague me until I agree. Hmm, so true. Contact Mr. Weston. Tell him that we will meet him at his haunted house Friday evening. You and I will go out early. On Friday, we caught an early afternoon train to the South Shore. The thinking machine was silent, and I let him brood. Occasionally, he would fire off a question. When you saw the apparition, you described it as a blaze of white. Did it emit light? What do you mean? When you enter a room with a lamp, it illuminates the room. Does the phantom. Did the flames light up the floor and the walls? No. As I thought. Do you have any contacts in Providence? Well, I know this one reporter. Good. When we arrive, telephone your colleague and let me speak. Two hours later, we'd arrived in the village. The thinking machine was talking long distance to Providence. Whatever he found out from my colleague, he kept to himself. He's aggravating that way. Now to the haunted house. Having once more obtained the key from Mrs. Walsh, who was agog with excitement, we headed for the kitchen door. Excellent. Well, quite dreadful, really. Mrs. Walsh doesn't seem to view cleaning as part of her duties in looking after the place. Well, she views herself as more of a supervisor. What's our plan? To find the jewels. Really? How? Watch. See what I mean? Aggravating. We move through the first floor, a scientist squinting this way and that, 
taking in every detail until we located the cellar door in the back hallway. Downward into the depths. I bet there are rats. Aha! What? Where? It's dark. Fortunately, I brought a lantern. Hold this. Handing me the lantern, he marched to the square stone chimney base at the center of the room and stooped, running his fingers along the stones as he circled the structure. What are you... Hush! I hushed and resumed my role as human lamppost. The thinking machine went round the chimney again, this time with his hand stretched up as high as he could reach. Which wasn't all that high. He's shorter than I am. We need to get higher. Uh, Harriet, set that lantern down. And then get on my shoulders. I don't think... This is a good idea. Get your confounded petticoat out of my face. I'm trying. You might consider a reducing diet. Ow! Did you just kick me? Yes. I'm a dainty slip of a girl. Disagree and I'll kick you again. Fine. Reach up your hands and uh, feel around the chimney. What am I looking for? Hey, this stone is loose. That. Remove the loose stone. Got it. Drop it. Uh, Not on me, if you please. Professor, there's something in this hole. It's a wooden box. Extract it. It's stuck. Confound it, wiggle it loose. I'm wiggling. Wiggle harder. You are the most... Oh, losing my balance. Ow! Are you injured? I'm fine. Did I break the box? No, the floor did that when you dropped it. I'm sorry. Holy Mary, Mother of God. The missing jewels. Indeed. How? Not now. Here is my handkerchief. Thank you. Is my face dirty? Yes, but the handkerchief is for the jewels. Gather them up. On it. A fortune in jewels lost for 50 years, and you go straight to the hiding place. How? Logic. Two and two always make four, Harriet. So they do. Thank you. That explains everything. Was that sarcasm? Yes. Very well. I will explain. Good. Later. For now, say nothing about this. Not a word, as long as I make my deadline. Agreed. Is there a pocket in your skirt? I sew pockets in all my skirts. A girl never knows when she'll need to stash a fortune in jewels knotted in a handkerchief. What's next? We replace the loose stone. We procure supper in the village. After that, we meet Mr. Ernest Weston's train. And then? We put an end to a ghost story. Ernest Weston arrived, and the three of us headed for the house. The thinking machine, swinging a hammer he'd purchased at a hardware store. Are you armed, Mr. Weston? I brought a revolver. I suppose that sounds foolish. Not at all. Harriet, you will be in the reception hall, Mr. Weston will be stationed in the drawing room, and I will be on the staircase. Do you really think we'll see something? I have no doubt whatsoever. We waited for hours. I squinted into the darkness at first one man, then the other, idly wondering why the thinking machine brought a hammer to a ghost hunt. Then I heard a sound. A faint light began to glow, a misty white flame that took shape as it coalesced into a looming figure, clothed in a hooded robe. 
Flames licked along its outline as it lifted up a blazing dagger. The apparition raised its other hand. At that moment, I could have sworn it was pointing directly at me. The finger moved, leaving a trail of flickering white light. The word death swam in the air. No! Suddenly, the phantom broke apart, crumbled up, and vanished. Elsewhere in the house, I heard running footsteps. Harriet! Harriet! Here! Quickly! The, the kitchen! I ran after the thinking machine, out the kitchen door, and out onto the overlook. Damn it! Where is he? Mr. Weston! Down here! Did you get him? I... No, I'm afraid he escaped. I see! I don't! What just happened? I fired! I think I winged him. Who? All in good time. Now! Now is a good time! But is it the place? I prefer a warm room with a roaring fire and, I think, brandy. Harriet, Mr. Weston, I have reserved rooms for us at the hotel in the village. I suggest we regroup there. And then you'll explain? Everything. Twenty minutes later, we were seated in the hotel lounge with Weston pouring brandy. When Miss Hatch first relayed her tale of a fiery phantom, complete with irrelevant but highly atmospheric details, certain ideas occurred immediately. Miss Hatch saw a phantom near the library door. Prior to the spectral sighting, she mentioned a noise which she attributed to a rat scurrying across the floor. The house has stood empty for five years. Rodents rarely remain in an uninhabited house. No food supply. But if the noise was not a rat, what was it? I filed that question away. The white light gilding the ghostly figure, stripped of its superstitious dread, was undoubtedly created by phosphorus. However, phosphorus has a pronounced odor if one is within, say, 20 feet of it. I'm telling you, there was no odor. Which intrigued me. Nonetheless, I was certain that phosphorus was being employed. Miss Hatch, in her impetuous charge at the phantom, passed directly through the spot where it had appeared, yet smelled nothing. Therefore, the ghost was not there. Was so. No, it wasn't. Both on that occasion and tonight, the apparition wrote a luminous word in the air. The confirmation of my theory. What theory? Confound it, Harriet! I'm getting to it! Oh, where was I? The confirmation of your theory. Exactly. Confirmation came when Miss Hatch described the ghost as disappearing, first one half, then altogether, so that her hands grasped only air. For the love Harriet, of... you were reaching for a reflection. Even before I saw them myself, your description of the ground floor included mirrors. Not where the phantom stood. You described yourself as stumbling into the library, although you had closed the door to that room earlier. Two and two always make four. I immediately postulated a sliding mirror hidden in the wall like a pocket door. The sound you heard was not a rat but the mirror sliding out, filling the doorway while the wooden door stood open. Then where was the man playing the ghost? In the dining room. He hid inside the butler's pantry, donned a robe already coated in phosphorus, then stepped out into the dining room where he was reflected in a tall mirror, reflected again in a mirror on the living room wall, and from there reflected to a sliding mirror in the library door. 
That, by the way, was the mirror I smashed with my hammer, sending the culprit running. And the fiery letters? Written in phosphorus on a pane of clear glass. But why? Ah, that is the real question. A bit elaborate for a mere prank. The spectral figure only appeared when the workroom came to renovate the house. It seemed clear that the purpose was to frighten away the workers. But why? I instructed Miss Hatch to grill, uh, that is, to request information from you and your cousin regarding the history of the house. And we told her about the deaths and the missing jewels. Suppose someone was certain the jewels were still contained in the house. Suppose that person was secretly searching for them. With renovations about to begin, the search was threatened. Mr. George Weston, according to his own statement, heard the tale from his mother— George Weston, who refused to go ghost hunting because he was attending a ball in Providence that night. He didn't go to Providence. I verified this by phone with your colleague, who had a guest list. Before arriving, I surmised that a summer home on the sea was certainly likely to have a dock. Any person who wished to avoid being seen could come and go from the house by boat. Thus, before setting foot in the house, I knew how the ghost was made to appear and disappear. I knew the motive behind the haunting was almost certainly a search for the missing jewels, and that your cousin George was the likely culprit. But I required proof. The first thing to do was to find the jewels. Oh, is that all? Just find the jewels? Believe me, it's been tried. Harriet? On the table? Please. I... You... how? Logic, confound it! The jewels were obviously hidden in the house, since the would-be robber's body was found inside, and the snow outside showed tracks leading into the house, but none out. Your great-grandfather would not have hidden the jewels within the woodwork. What if there was a fire? We know he did not bury them in the cellar. The floor had been completely dug up. The hiding place had to be in the stonework. My search began in the cellar, at the base of the central chimney stack. I theorized a loose stone would be found either below or above eye level. It was above. Miss Hatch removed the stone and discovered the jewels. I don't know what to say. Then be silent. Once I found the jewels, there remained only to prove my ghostly theory by means of an actual encounter. I stationed you, Mr. Weston, near the back of the house. Why? I thought you might prefer to deal with the guilty party personally. While awaiting the ghost, I removed my boots. When the phantom appeared, I crept down the steps in my stocking feet and smashed the sliding mirror with my hammer. The crash startled the man in the ghostly robe, and he fled out the kitchen door with you in pursuit. I fired, wounding him. As he grasped his arm, his hood fell back. It, it was George. We stared at one another for a moment. Then he flew down the stairs to the old dock below and escaped in a motorboat. Professor, I cannot file charges against my own cousin. Other than trespassing, he has broken no laws. Perhaps he might go abroad. A sojourn in Europe, say several years, might restore his health, funded in part by the family jewels you now hold. Miss Hatch, I hope you can see your way to omitting some details from your, no doubt, highly sensational story about the Weston haunted house. Have no fear. I can write a real humdinger without embarrassing your family. Professor, I've often heard of your exploits, but the way you figured this out, it seems impossible. Confound it! Not that word! 
This concludes Phantom, adapted from one of the Thinking Machine short stories written by Jacques Fortrell. The cast features Sarah Waddle as Harriet Hatch, Richard Rather as Professor Van Dusen, the Thinking Machine, Ian Garthwaite as Ernest Weston, and David A. Gingrich as George Weston. When stages around the world went dark, Artists Ensemble Theater began producing theater for the mind. If you can, please consider donating to AET or becoming a patron by pledging monthly. Learn more at artistsensemble.org. And as always, thank you for listening.